Coming up, a Sad Styles production. Hello and welcome. My name is Mike Aaronworth, signing on to the Sign Off, a Frameworth podcast for yet another week. It is the podcast where we talk about all the stories you didn't know you wished you knew about the world of sports and sports marketing. I am joined in studio by my favorite co-host, Brian Aaronworth, president of Frameworth Sports Marketing. Dad, how are you doing this week? I'm good, good. Favorite co-host. Favorite co-host on this podcast. Yeah, I'm the only one. Well, yeah, I've got a ton of other podcasts. I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to start ranking this and that. Not. It's going to get awkward in front of our guests who we'll introduce in a second here. But before we do that, obviously, we have a little bit of housekeeping to do to give a shout out to all of our loyal listeners out there who have taken the time to give us a rating and a review, especially on iTunes. And by the way, Spotify is now accepting ratings. So if you listen on Spotify, there's a good opportunity to give us a shout out there. Um, this rating comes from uh, Zuber Binus Haluk uh, via Apple Podcasts. Uh, I recently came across this podcast and I enjoy looking forward to a new episode every week as a huge sports fan. I enjoy the different podcasts about various sports. If you're a fellow sports fan, this podcast is a must listen. You're given insider information about a world we only get to and it goes on from there. I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's a long, it's like a 500 word essay longer than most of the essays I used to write in writer's craft back in the day. So this is, this is nice. So, uh, as always send us an email, uh, sign off pod at frameworth.com. What are Uh, we sending them? We're going to set, well, you know what? How about this? We usually, we usually set the pace. It's, it's a, it's a Leafs themed day today and we'll get into, uh, into why that is in a little while. Uh, so we're going to send you uh, a signed eight by 10 photo from a Leafs player. Uh, so reach out to us on our at framework.com and we'll get that sent out to you ASAP. You just need the address information. You got 30 days from the drop of this episode. Uh, but without further ado, as much as we love the, the padding on the back and you and I dad just sitting here talking about what a great job we're doing. Because <laughs> someone's got to do it, right? Um, uh, before we get on to it too, far, too much farther, I have a very exciting guest to introduce today. Uh, this week on the podcast, we're going to find out how and why this man has earned the title of the Ultimate Leafs fan. He's the author of Inside the Room with the Ultimate Leafs fan and the Ultimate Road Trip. And apparently he's working on a new book as well, which we'll get into. And today he sits down to talk not only about his rise into collecting celebrity, but as one of the most respected names in the appraisal game. Ladies and gentlemen, we are talking today with Mike Wilson. Mike. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Mike. How you doing, guys? Listen, it was worth joining you guys just into that introduction. You guys pumping my tires like that. Man, I could listen to that all day long. <laughs> he forgot to say, uh, and good friends of, of Brian Aaronworth. Yes, That's we've been known each other for many years. Who we isn't sure a good friend have. of Brian Aaronworth these days? And Mikey, too, both of you guys, yes. <laughs> No, great to be with you guys today. Absolutely. And it's good to see you in a formal setting. Uh, you are obviously, look, I, I got to say right off the hop, Mike, I'm a little disappointed. I mean, you're, you're, you're the ultimate Leafs fan, but as yeah. soon as it gets cold in Toronto, you're off the floor. You're recording this from Florida. You're not here right now. And I, I know that there's COVID protocols, so you can't make yeah. the games, but what are you doing? You're leaving us in the cold, literally. Well, I snuck down here because my <laughs> hockey got canceled too. And with the NHL package, I don't miss any Leaf games. I don't miss any NHL games uh, for that matter. So I'm hiding down here till we can start playing again. Yeah. You know what, Mike? I'm heading down to Morrill. I'm going to join you, you somewhere down there because it's uh, cold and miserable up here. It, uh, it feels like the right choice to make it. It's finally, you know, we've been spending all winter in Toronto. If you're listening from from outside of Toronto, we apologize for a little bit of the local talk uh, for the time being. But this this is an episode focused on Toronto, so I don't feel bad doing that. Um, we've been talking about how this winter has been a breeze. Uh, and then this week, it kind of turned around and kicked our ass a little bit. Yep. And you're, you're turning around and running away to Florida, I'm Dad. I'm sitting here <laughs> editing the podcast. What am I, chopped liver? It's fine. It's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to do it. I'm happy to do it. Uh, so, Mike, in your introduction, I talked about uh, how you had earned the name 
name of the Ultimate Leafs fan. Uh, and we're going to get into your collection, which was massive. It, it became the largest collection of uh, Toronto Maple Leafs memorabilia, one of the largest general collections of hockey memorabilia uh, in the world. Uh, you had recently sold uh, that collection off or, or the majority of that collection off, which we'll get into in a little bit. But for now, let's talk about your experience as a collector, because this ep- this podcast tends to focus on that quite a bit. In terms of your start with collecting, do you remember what the first item was that you received that kind of started this this itch that you had to continue collecting more and more? Uh, yes, I do. Uh, well, first off, as a kid, I'm 67 today. So growing up in the late 50s and early 60s. Hey, oh, congratulations. Happy Whoa, well, no, not today. No, July. No, 67 at today. Oh, okay. okay. 67 as, as, as of today. today. Okay. okay. There's the senior moment. <laughs> Miss Miss. This is guiding you guys with information. <laughs> we do that a lot when we get to this age, especially if you're looking for the discounts at the movie theaters and restaurants and stuff. Now, <laughs> so growing up playing uh, hockey and stuff like that in the streets, I was any kid. There was one, four channels. Now, we didn't walk through 10 feet of snow and all that. We were looking for 10 feet of snow to make forts and sure. play hockey and all that. But it was the usual sort of osmosis, if you will, for kids collecting cards Somebody showed up with cards once and we all started collecting them. And then it started with clipping newspapers and all that kind of stuff. But my first real piece of memorabilia was a game-used stick from Carl Brewer from a family relative who was best friends with Carl. And the second piece I got was a Frank Mahalovich when he does the Libby's Beans. Brian, I think I gave you one of the copies of it. And, and one of the posters yeah. was Frank stopping and, and was Libby's Beans can promotion. And my uncle got me two posters. My father used to play hockey at Lee Arena in the IBM League. And Frank's dad was a skate sharpener there. So when I was about eight, I guess, we got two copies my uncle got for me and said, maybe we should give Mr. Mahoblich one. And I said, no. <laughs> but the idea was to give him <laughs> one. And it was the first time he ever had a colored picture. And I took it and we gave it to Frank. And Frank's dad, I'll never forget, came and patted me in the head because he knew who I was from hanging around the rink on Sunday mornings at Lee Side. He turned around and hung that in his booth, and it stayed there until the day he retired. And the greatest thrill for me was bringing Frank to see the room years later, showing him the poster and telling him that story, and Frank was welling up when I told him the story. So those are my two first real pieces. But the thing about it is, first off, I'd like to be really clear that the Ultimate Least Fan was a name that I didn't give myself. ESPN gave that when they did a story. ESPN, yeah. ESPN Magazine did a big story, and they wanted to me to paint my idea. I said, I don't do that stuff. I, you know, I'm more in the serious side of collecting and history and telling the stories, you know, the real fans, those are the guys that are down there screaming and yelling. And, you know, you've, you've seen this guy on, on, you know, YouTube, the last of while, Curtis, those are the real, real true fans. I mean, I'm a diehard fan myself, but you know, I just want to give those guys all shout out. Cause there's, I, I've never, ever been arrogant enough to think that I'm the only guy and that just this handle it just seemed to have stuck as a matter of fact we wanted to change the name at one time because I wanted to be more taken as a historian and talking about that but we decided to keep the name for the branding because it just got out there and just sort of took off but might you know, I suggest me, the ultimate Leafs connoisseur let's go with that yeah <laughs> we're rebranding I, you today on the sign off podcast thank you Mikey but I the one part else I like to, to clear with everybody also is the fact that when the collecting started, you know, I remember the days when my mother used to bring home, you know, the groceries and the slatted boxes, and you'd be looking, waiting to rip the box open. I didn't even like Jello, and to just see what coin was inside, or the cereal box yeah. to check the picture on it, or the hockey cards or something to clip them off. Those are all the memories. And now that my mom has passed, you know, you, those are the memories I go back to. And I think that if it hadn't started doing those type of things, 
then when I bought Max Bentley's sweater 30 odd years later or whatever it was, you know, it wouldn't have meant the same thing to me. And that, that's the, the passion that you see in Maple Leaf fans. And that, that's the part that I want to stress to everybody, because when I'm asked all the time what's your favorite piece, when I suggest that it all means the same to me, people looking like me have two heads because they really want to hear is they want to hear what the most expensive piece is. Of but course. it's not that. Right. It's what the pieces actually mean to you as an individual. Right. It's funny. I, I purposely made a point because we, we got into this with uh, Sean Chalk, another collector who's sort of risen yep. to prominence in the, in the collecting yep. community. Um, and and he always said he hates that question of what is your favorite piece? It's almost as though all your pieces become kind of like your children, um, which mm. in my dad's case, he, he could say he has a clear least favorite. And that's the one he hosts podcasts with every day. <laughs> but but it's 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 more that you develop this kind of family of products that you uh, that that you 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 amass. And there isn't really one over another that you love love more or most. So I want to change that question a little bit uh, before we get back on onto some of the other questions that I had. I want to change that question a little bit to you. Is there a piece that you feel you missed out on that you would really like in your collection, but you, you uh, for whatever reason, weren't able to get? There's lots. There's big. The thing about it is, Mikey, is what, what you have to understand, I guess, and people understand is that you never know as a collector What's going to come around the corner next? Like when you walk into an, uh, right. uh, an antique store, you walk around a swap meet or a flea market, or you go to a card show uh, with the big Aaron Murth display there, framework display there. Um, yeah. Or somebody giving you a call or you pick something up in a magazine and it's for sale. So that's, that's the thrill of the hunt. But for me, a couple of things I looked at, I've always, always wanted a 31 sweater, a St. Patrick's sweater. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I never got, I saw a couple after I, when I sort of moved my collection on, I, a few came across, you know, after that, which is always the way. But I never really, outside of those two things, which I probably would have really liked to have had, I, the thrill of it for me was just what, when somebody would present something. Like when I ended up with the Stanley Cup banner, that came out of the blue. And that came from, uh, uh, you know, Wayne Parsons, whose father was the upholsterer at the gardens for 42 years. He sent me a note one time and suggest, questioned why I was calling myself the Ultimate Leafs fan, which I, I feel really bad about all the time explaining to people because I don't think I'm the Ultimate Leafs fan at all. And when I explained it to him, he said he had a number of things himself. And anyway, one of the things he had was this banner. Well, long, long story short, after going back and forth for a year, we, he ended up doing a deal and he, I ended up with the, the banner. And he, you know, he originally gone to the Maple Leafs, went to the Hockey Hall of Fame and didn't want it ending up in the roof of a bar somewhere. And all I assured him, like I assured anybody else, that you're, this piece will end up in a museum one day or on display in the legacy of your father, which saved this banner when they were all destroyed, being used as paint tarps at the gardens during the maintenance uh, period over the summer. And that was the only one that survived. And I have that. The legacy of your father, go on. I, it's not me. It's about the stories about you and your family that preserve this. And all I'm doing is the gatekeeper to the piece. I'm just sharing at the rest of Leafs Nation. I, I want to talk eventually about a, a, a pretty famous road trip you took a couple of years yes. ago where the focus very easily could have been, here is my experience going to all of all, mm-hmm. all the, the Toronto Maple Leafs games over the years, but you very uh, uh, purposefully made it about other people, all the people you met along the way, which I think was a very important thing to do. Bef- before we get into that specifically, yeah. a little bit more about uh, you as a collector and your collections. We talked last week, my dad and I, about uh, some of the the uh, more important or, or significant or valuable items that we've come across at our, during our time with Frameworth. And we we stopped on the question of whether a an historic piece of memorabilia, game used in one way or another, 
signatures, in your opinion, do they add to the value of that item or would you rather have an historic item kind of stand on its own without a signature? Well, that's a really tricky question. It, it depends on what type of collector you are. There's some people that want the signature because the athlete handled it. I remember I had a Dave Keon right. use game use sweater from 68 and I went to a leaf event. He was there and I happened to take it to show to him and I wasn't going to get him to sign it. And then I said, ah, maybe somebody said you should get him to sign. He said, well, and he goes, you sure you want me to sign this? And I said, ah, you know, go ahead. But it didn't really matter because I knew the piece. I knew it was authentic. Right. I knew it was his. I showed it to him. And I got him to sign it. But there are some people that want signatures and everything. They want to photograph with it, of course, with all the fakes. And you guys know better than anybody the business. And you guys are in that business and, and one of the best in it, I might add. Um, it, it's just for the person's own gratification. I don't think it adds yeah, or takes yeah, away yeah. from it. it I, I was saying last week that it. Uh, there's a, it used to be, don't touch it. Don't put any other marks on it. Yeah. But that's changed around a lot now, I think. And in, in more recent years, people want to see the signature as well. So it's, it's really a personal preference. I don't think it adds or detracts too much from I agree. either way. Yeah, I agree. We get that question quite often from, from our collectors. Uh, you know, sometimes we have the ability to sell some game use product as well. And, and they will explicitly ask, is this signed? Should it be signed? You know, obviously we have to charge more if it's signed because we have to acquire the signature on behalf of the hey, customer. Hey, Mikey, before but- you move on to other subjects about sure. uh, uh, Mike's collection. Yeah. Okay. So Mike and I have known each other many, many years, going back to almost the start of Frameworth, if not the start. Um, and, uh, I didn't really know. I knew Mike as uh, uh, well. You were in the uh, finance business at the time, right, Mike? Yes. So, yes. Uh, and that's how I first met him in the golf course, and we actually ran into him down in uh, down at uh, Sherwood Golf and Country Club. Uh, yes. He had yes. uh, one thing to play with Wayne Gretzky for eighteen holes down at in L.A. at right. Wayne's course. Right. And I think we you told that story the on the podcast. Day, actually, yeah, I yeah. told that yeah. story, um, but. Over the years, I got to know Mike pretty well, and I had no idea the scope of his collection and how passionate he was about it. And then we had an employee here that had left uh, the company and went to work for the Hockey Hall of Fame. And Mike said, hey, can you help me with some displays and things like that? And I said, well, it's really not what we do. I can build you some picture frames. But we put him in touch with uh, Scott Weber, right? I don't know if he's still down there. Yeah. Yeah, he is. He's still, he runs the whole, yeah. Right. So he handled the whole displays for the Hockey Hall of Fame. And he yeah. went and put Mike's basement together and did an incredible job. It looks like the Hall of Fame. Yeah. And when Mike had the full collection down there, it was a sight to see. It, I was, mean, it was a like thousand square the Hall feet of, fame. of just about every kind of, I think you even set the original turnstiles of from Maple Leaf Gardens in order to enter yeah. the basement. And you had a, a room, uh, sorry, a name for, for this, this, this display. I kind of stepped on my, my own uh, thing yeah. that I found very ominous and powerful. Mike, tell us what you called this uh, quote unquote fan cave. Well, we just called it the room because, you know, basement sound room. I love it, that. It, it just sounded so. You're in the basement, and uh, you know I just want to. Everybody's. I I can't take credit for that because a couple of hockey historians had come over. They named it that. And they said, "When can we come back to the room?" And I just kind the of room. stuck and and stayed with it. So I kind of stole. You're that talking about me. Paul, Paul Patskell and Jim Amadeo. Actually, yeah. the two guys. Right, guys that helped you with your book, helped me with our Eddie Shack yes. book. Uh, great yes. people. Yeah. Um, great people. Uh, he runs. He runs a show right now or a hockey time machine. 
Uh, Hockey oh, time machine. That's correct. I was, uh, drawing a blank. Yeah. Yeah, I've been on that yeah, a few so times. Give him a shout out. But yes. also in that basement, that your basement has hosted some phenomenal events, including um, the great one. Yep, has been there. Bobby, or go to tell us a little bit about some of the things you've hosted and why. Well, you know, the funny part about it is when I when I started this whole thing, I, I really wanted to be anonymous. I didn't really want anybody to know about me because I didn't think anybody cared. And as vain as it sounds, I was in the brokerage business on Bay Street and I was trying to I guess I was trying to portray myself as some sort of with an image of being successful and being on Bay Street. And those guys don't collect hockey cards. And, you know, sitting around wearing a Maple right, Leaf sweater right. or, you know, doing those type of things, like just almost a little vain in that and thinking that way. And I so I really didn't say anything to anybody. And my friends, I remember I gave a friend who had a baby a, some baseball cards and a hockey cards and stuff. And he kind of looked at me like you couldn't have given him some Fisher Price toys. <laughs> and his brother played in the NHL. And, uh, you know, the, the, you know, I, I, so I didn't think anybody really cared. So when we were doing our basement as our final stop and I wanted to do it for myself, have the TVs and all that laid out for people to come over and watch games with me, somebody made a comment that you should rent this out to a charity. And I said, mm-hmm. no, who, who'd want to come and see this? And I, I honestly, I thought, and I said, no, people pay to come to dinners and it just sort of progressed. And I said, well, all right. So uh, Somebody took a couple pictures and ended up on Facebook. And then we got a call from the Maple Leafs and said that Leafs TV would like to come and do a show on it. I said, I just find out about it. He said, we saw some pictures. And Deb and I sat down and we had a long chat because we said, if we cross this bridge, there's no turning back because it's going to be out there. People right. are going to know where we live. People are going to know, figure out where we are. And you expose yourself to all this kinds of This is your of- personal residence, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And With millions so of want- dollars worth of stuff there. And, you know, and, 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 you know, and things like that, I always said to the kids, if that door's left open and somebody comes in here, they're coming back again. They're not just coming here once. So we've got to move or cut this out altogether if something happens. So there's always that fear factor. Right. We decided to go ahead with it. We did the show and then it just kind of took off from there where people are calling. We like to do something there. And then we decided when we got into charity business, we would do fundraising, but we would do things that would be specifically geared towards what we wanted to be involved with. And it had to be a maple leaf. This way, we couldn't say yes to everybody because every, we're getting so many requests. And this way, we wouldn't say no to right. somebody also. So if a maple leaf was involved. Right. So we were very proud of all the money we raised there. Every dime went to, um, to, to every charity. And the outpouring of support from Frameworth in particular, every event we had, Brian, you guys stepped in, Mikey stepped up and gave us thousands of dollars worth of items for our auction uh, auctions without even blinking an eye. See, with guys like yourself, well, happy to do it. Uh, the NHL players never, never, ever waned at all for coming. Speaking of Wayne, Wayne showed up and Wayne not only bought four tickets. I mean, he was the main draw, bought four tickets, donated $10,000 to an event we had, and then offered a golf game with him and Dustin Johnson that got $25,000. So, and the guy would have paid 50, wow. but Wayne offered it to a guy. But it's just the hockey players, and all we did, Deb did all the work. I just, I, I'm getting all the credit, and all I did was open the door and tell stories. Uh, it was all the hockey world, and it just kind of exploded. So we hosted probably, I'm guessing, close to 100 events for hockey events where we'd have players come over and talk, and just we'd put them out on Facebook and stuff like that and record them and put them in, and plus all the charity events we had, and we're very, very proud of that. 
No, and and nor did you. And I think it, it makes sense now to to give a a blatant shout out to Deb, who is at all these events, and people inside know who she is very much. Yes. So you know, yeah. maybe maybe kind of staying uh, uh, a little bit behind uh, and letting you kind of take the brunt of all the the media pressure, uh, it, I, whether that's intentional or not. But everyone in the know knows just how much Deb has well, done. Behind Deb, we, a great we, man, right? Yeah, but if we didn't <laughs> mention uh, Deb, right. uh, is is your wife? Although I would, I, I would assume she would say that that you are Deb's husband if, if she had her her way around it. So yeah, that's in case the listeners are wondering uh, who who we're speaking about there. And I yeah. I, I kind of want to pull on this thread because this was actually my next question about about you as a collector getting into this with very different intentions and and starting out as as a as a, as you know at, by your admission potentially not the ultimate fan but no. an enormous fan of the Leafs. It mm-hmm. must have been incredibly surreal. When things started to shift to a point now, for example, where where you start off collecting and now you're doing a podcast with Rick Vive, the Squid and the Ultimate Leafs fan. I mean, is this? Do you feel like you're waking up in a dream, or do you feel like this all happened piece by piece and it's kind of just your normal everyday life now? I, I would never have in a million years dreamt it would happen like this, Mike and Brian, ever. I I, I just started off collecting this stuff because I had this passion for the Maple Leafs, like every other kid. And this stuff just stayed with me. And then something, and it was just this passion. And every time I saw that crest, I would get excited or I'd see that sweater or the, the logo. It would just do something to me. And I remember as an eight-year-old going to the gardens for a tour. And my father took me around. All I wanted to see was the dressing room. And the last stop was the dressing room. We go through the dressing room door and we walked into the room. And the first sweater I saw was George Armstrong's. And I don't know why, but I beelined right. And he was my favorite player. It was Dave Keown and Frank Mahovlich. And I beelined right to that sweater. And I thought somebody was going to throw us out of the room. And there I'm looking at the sweater. I remember going to touch it. And, they were, and then they said no touching. Yeah. And the, the usher standing there said, who was the guard, said, go ahead. It's, they're made of silk. And I thought, well, <laughs> I, I believe them. But of course, they weren't. Of course. But here I am 50 years later in my room is the door to that dressing room. And that sweater that I stood in front of, the Armstrong sweater, was in my collection. Wow. Like, I just can't, there's no explanation for that. And so where it's gone, what happened is we started getting a little recognition in in the sports world, or I guess in the hockey world. People would email us, and I still get emails daily from people trying to sell me things, tell me stories. And every piece I always have has to have a story. If it doesn't have a story, I have no interest in it. Because why why would you have it? I mean, you wouldn't buy a car, a shirt, a pair of shoes, nothing without knowing something about the item that you're purchasing. Right. So people would share this with me. But once the collector made a decision where age and all that retirement, we're going to move on to the next phase of our life. I I thought, what am I going to do next? And I thought, well, you know, the thing about it is step out there and Let's find out. My idea is always to, I spent the first part of my life accumulating items. Then I spent the next part of my life finding out what they meant. And the last part of my life is to take it to that next step further. Because every piece I like to think has tentacles. And the tentacles produce stories after story after story. And I've got dozens and dozens and dozens that go that way. So I thought, why not try and find out what it is that makes this all sort of happen? So that's what I spent the better part of it doing. And then when I went on the road trip and came back, Rick and I have you know, been friends for a while. We decided to try and do something, just get out there and talk and just to keep involved with it and, and just to talk hockey, just like you and your dad are doing with uh, your great podcast. So it's just led to there. The two books came about and I, I, it it's, really is surreal. I, I had no, I'd never mapped any of this out. And I, as I know, said to him, when I started, I wanted to have my stuff in the room in the basement and watch sports. That's what I yeah. wanted to do and drink beer with my buddies. You know, Mike, it's, it's funny. Our lives have had... Uh, a, a very similar 
similar parallel. I don't think either one of us expected to be where we are right now. I mean, you started in the brokerage business. I started as a custom picture framer, had nothing to do with sports, but our passions for what we do, yours yours with the Leafs and collecting and mine Mm -hmm. for similar, uh, I took my picture framing ability and started creating items for me, not for the, not to be resold. And people kept looking at them and saying, how, Hey, can you make one of those for me? And that's exactly how I got. And then 25, 30 years later, starting as a custom picture framer for interior designers, we're maybe one of the largest uh, memorabilia companies in, well, the in Canada, and then one, one of the largest in North America. Had no idea that I'd be sitting in this chair right now talking to somebody in a similar path. It's it's amazing. In my early years, when I played hockey and I played in Europe and stuff like that. It was funny when I was playing in Vancouver Island, my roommates, I'd always be looking for Maple I'd watch all the Maple Leaf games because they, when they were on, because they'd come out at five o'clock at the time difference and we could still go out. But I'd be looking, going to local sports stores or anything and looking for things, but I'd be embarrassed bringing it back. And I finally hung up a couple of posters and guys were looking at me like, what is this? <laughs> like, how old are you? Yeah. So I always had this insecurity about having some of these things and I've just kind of hide them in my room. They said, what are you doing hanging up a poster of uh, Boris Salming or, you know, whoever it was? <laughs> I said, well, you know, it's kind of a cool picture. Put it up. And it just sort of progressed there, like progressed like, uh, as I went along and just kept accumulating these things and then just wanted to look at them. And here we well, are those, uh, those friends are probably kicking themselves a little bit because it wasn't too long ago that you uh, ended up selling <laughs> the majority of uh, your your collected products, maybe including that Borea Salming poster to the Canadian Museum of History for uh, <laughs> in a multi-million dollar deal. Uh, what year did that take place? Oh, geez. Uh, 2017, I believe. 17? 2017. And you had gotten rid of, I think, the, the majority of, of your products, but you did keep some. And I'm, I, I want to get into kind of the reasoning behind the sale, but more importantly to me, I'm, I'm so curious, how did you decide which items you wanted to keep for yourself and which items were going to be sold? Well, there's no mystery. The pieces we kept. Well, first off, there was there was so many pieces and it was such a big collection to get through that the they had an appraisal team of six or seven people. They couldn't get through it all, so they had to have a cutoff date. But being a collector, I would still right. accumulate things, and they only they had to have a cutoff date, and then after that, the other items wouldn't be allowed in because there was going through the government and CERB and all these different organizations sure. to have to, to get it approved for historical significance and so on. But the other thing was, as I said, when you're doing appraising, there has to be comparatives and they couldn't find comparatives for a lot. So they wouldn't come up with the price that we agreed on. So I kept a lot of those items. And so that a lot of the stuff that was in there just either didn't make the cut or we didn't agree on the price and I kept them out. Like the banner, I accumulated the banner after all the contract. Were there any items that regardless of the negotiations, you determined this is staying in my collection no matter, maybe that Carl Brewer stick from, from earlier? Yeah, well, the stick ended up being, I ended up looking at it and ended up on the street using it and I had it right down to a toothpick and I kept it for about <laughs> 30 years and then it got lost in the shuffle of a bunch of other sticks. Uh, so I never oh, no. did. How many stories like that are there around? Well, the funniest thing is, is when uh, I was sitting one day and my cousin, my cousin brought some of the guys that played hockey with who I knew over to see the basement one night. I let them come in and having a couple of pops. And one of the guys come up and said, you got one of the best collections of stuff of my dad's I've ever seen. And I said, who's your dad? He said, Carl Brewer. And he said, I'm Mike Brewer. Oh, wow. 
And I had Carl's sweater and a couple of other things. So Kai said, well, I said, have I got a story for you? And so I told him that we've been friends ever wow. since. So those are some of the cool things that happen with, you know, that just come unexpected. But I, uh, to answer your question, I didn't, there was any, the, the banner we were going to keep. Uh, there was some of the contracts. If we didn't get the right price from it, I was going to keep them. And there's a number of other little items. You know, I wanted to keep some of the coins because, again, they go back to the early beginning and things like that. And there was a few things that had been given to me personally that I decided, like I was given a gold medal by one of the girls we raised money for was a girl by the name of Kareem Thomas. And she won two gold medals at the Pan Am Games. And one of the groups we worked with was Can Fund to raise money for Canadian Olympic athletes. And we hosted a number of events for them. We, were, we helped raise, we were part, very small part of helping raise a lot of money for them. And she came to our house one night that we were having an event to thank Deb and I personally for helping fund her athletic training the previous year to let her win these right. two gold medals and then qualify for the Olympics. She gave us one of the gold medals. Wow. And to say the whole room, there was 100 people in the room. I don't think there was a dry eye, including me, and I had oh. to get up and speak. <laughs> And I remember looking at Tessa Bonham, and Tessa Bonham had been yelling at me about, Mike, why is there not any girls hockey in here? And I said, now well, there is. Uh, how about this? <laughs> this isn't hockey, but this is. So we kept that. And, um, you know, that, that, that was really like everything else. I just kind of moved on. And we let the kids have a few pick of a few things. But other than that, uh, it's just the stuff we haven't worked out. Eventually, you'll end up in the museum, I would assume. Yeah, so, so the, the sale went through to the Canadian Museum of, of History. Uh, and I, I was curious, the the... the there must have been a, a decision or a choice not to go with someone like the Maple Leafs or the Hall of Fame. And I know in interviews you've talked about how the the museum was was very uh, willing to include you in the process of display and curation of the exhibit. Yes. What were some of the main reasons why uh, you didn't go with with an organization like the Hall of Fame for something like this? Well, because the hall, see, here's the thing, uh, like the Canadian Museum of History in Ottawa, I'm very passionate about Canada, Canada hockey, all things Canada. And as the older I get, I guess I get more passionate. But Brian, you'll get there to your couple years behind me. You're going to get there too. We, we, we also all guys feel that way. We we discover religion and uh, patriotism as we get older. So, but what I wanted to do is I wanted to, when I spoke to the museum, it was kind of a fluke. They wanted to borrow a Beatles poster we had for 50 years of the Beatles in Canada. And Deb, we get emails all the time, so we always check them through. And Deb found out it was legit. Well, then about a month later, we get asked for this hockey display they're having for the 100th anniversary in 2017. Could they borrow a couple pieces from the collection? Anyway, we check all that. It looks like it's legit. We let one of the curators come over to see the room to discuss it. She's walking around the room and said, oh, my God, I had no idea it was this. Um, Whatever are you going to do with this when you decide one day? And she, I remember distinctly she was looking at the Wayne Gretzky display and she said this, she said, well, as a matter of fact, we're in discussions right now with the Maple Leafs, uh, the Hockey Hall of Fame, a couple of corporations, because at some point there has to be a succession plan. And she said, well, what about us? I said, you guys? Wow. And Deb said, yeah, but they're going to we're going to sell it, though, because we can't take tax credits. They're no good to right. us. And she goes, we pay cash. And within a week, they had us in Ottawa, giving us a tour of all the museums. Uh, and then the, the process began. It took about four years. And they came through the Maple Leafs. We got involved with them with lawyers and everything came over. But they were going to designate a certain area of the garden of the Air Canada Center at the time. Because remember, it was built for basketball originally, right, right. just converting it back to the hockey side. So we we're going to do something with the hockey. Uh, I, I think if Brendan Shannon had been more engaged at the time, 
If Brian Burke had been there, Berkey told us 100% this would have been done. Would have been, this would have been a near Candace Center. I would have done it. And he was going to get Tim Lewicki involved to do it. But Lewicki made that comment, famous comment about not being here long, about a month later and was gone within a few months. Oh. So everything was a little disarrayed in the garden. So I think, don't think we were a priority for them. Yeah, sure. And or at the uh, ACC. So, and a couple of corporations we talked to, they, they thought about it, taking on a tour. But in the Hockey Hall of Fame, I love those guys. And I know them all, and I have no money. (laughs) But they don't pay, and they can't guarantee that your items are going to be displayed. And that was the one thing. And the museum has assured us that you know they're they're going to have display one day, although I haven't seen it yet. They need money, and I would be a part of the process because one of the things I want to do is I want to stay involved because to me the stories are what matter. And I know right. the stories. I know the, the, what, what becomes behind every piece in the collection. So without me telling that story, it's just another picture. And I've got hundreds right. of them like that. So they agreed. And we're still working with them. And they've, you know, so that that's partly why. And what I wanted, because I wanted that collection to be part of a hockey display in Canada. I look at the Canadian Museum of History as our Smithsonian. And what they want to do is they want to cover hockey from the Canadian perspective, right from the Colored League in Nova Scotia back in the late 1800s to the early 1920 to 1925—just uh, not the seven pro teams, but diversity. You know, women's hockey, blind hockey. We did we did a tour for the deaf Olympic hockey team. Jim Gregory set that up, and I had them where that was a good night having two interpreters doing this while I'm talking and the whole crowd laughing delayed. But oh wow, <laughs> we did that, and so those were where we were coming from. Whereas the hockey and hockey Hall of Fame covers hockey internationally. And they do an right. awesome job at that. And so we had many discussions in the bit, but, but the Canadian Museum of History, I wanted Canadian specific and use this as kind of the platform for other collections to come their way and build on it from there. And that's what they're using this for. Yeah, sowing the seeds to uh, to kind of create something that's a lot more uh, uh, popular or, or, or starting a movement essentially for the, the, the Museum of History as, as our Canadian museum beyond just the Hall of Fame. That is was what our real objective was to do from that standpoint. And, you know, where they go from here with it, hopefully it does expand and they use it to that use. And in the meantime, it's all been documented. It's available for researchers, historians, and people can go up and use it for research and stuff. Well, it's it's great to see that. And hopefully we find uh, uh, that that exhibit open and available. I'd love to visit it myself. Uh, um, it, you know, your basement was great, but in a museum, that's even better. Your basement kind of was a museum. Yeah, but it was now it's taken very convenient as basement. It was always on my way downtown, stop in and you yeah. always, you know, we're offered a beer too. So <laughs> exactly. That was the original that's always the, yes, that's always the case. <laughs> you haven't backed out of the realm of sports memorabilia uh, in, in or collecting in, in any capacity. In fact, you've sort of leaned into it in another way uh, by uh, becoming an appraiser, a certified appraiser. Yes. You've got your certification and you've taken this on now as someone who, I mean, we've just spent the last 35 minutes talking about your expertise in this realm. You've negotiated a multi-million dollar deal. You've uh, uh, become an historian with regards to the Maple Leafs and therefore the rest of the league, especially given the fact that the Maple Leafs are a cornerstone of the NHL. So, And you've already mentioned people reaching out to you with their own products and asking you for their opinion. So I'm assuming you figure, why not formalize this? Um, What was that process like? The decision to go through for your certification and what is it that you offer that may be different uh, from the rest of the uh, the industry right now? Um, a couple of things. First off, I said, I've mentioned you guys earlier in the podcast that 
we get contacts daily from people trying to sell me things, offer and give things to me a lot. And, you know, I tell a lot of times, I just tell them, keep it, give it to your kids and stuff. Or what's this worth? What's that worth? Or what should I pay for this? What should I pay for that? So I, uh, Debbie was always saying to me, you know, you should probably get certified and do this. It could be another project for you once you take, sure. you know, overstep everything else you've been doing. This could be the next chapter for you to move forward to because I'm always looking for something. And I guess the final thing that pushed me over the line was a friend of mine from Bay Street contacted me and he had, I didn't really know the guy that well, but through a friend of mine, his buddy, and he knew him better. Could I help him appraise his card collection? The cards were going kind of crazy. So I said, I looked at the cards and they I, they weren't worth anything what he thought they were. And I did this for just to help him out. And I spent a number of hours doing it. And when I didn't tell him the number he wanted to hear, he got mad. <laughs> so I'm looking at Debbie. I said, okay, that's it. Like, I, I, I can't do this. I, he's actually pissed at me for yeah. telling him the truth. As though it's your fault. And right? I did. And I did this for not like I like I wasn't even I said let me at least when I was on Bay Street guys are yelling at me I was getting paid for it <laughs> if they want to scream at me so I, said, I should do this and get if I'm going to get yelled at I must well get paid sure so she was and we were here in Florida she did punch down the community goes well here's a course right here you can take there's one in the states one in Canada sign up and she's signing me up I took the course uh, I passed it. And uh, it was the hardest I studied I think ever in my life because I didn't do a lot of studying in high school and. You know, I think that where I come from is because I experienced it myself and went through it, I bought it. I know I overpaid for most things I bought because I wanted to own the item. I never thought about what the value was or what I was going to be selling for. Sure. Even if I was paying five bucks for something, it was only worth three bucks if I needed it, I bought it. So I know what people, the pains they go through when they're writing that check. And that's always the thing I try to tell people. Some guy told me it's worth a buck. But I'm only getting basically what he's not the guy writing the check. He can tell you whatever it's worth. The person writing the check or pulling that money out of his wall is the guy who's going to tell you how much it's worth. Right. So I've come from many, many, many years of that experience of dealing from that front. Got burned on a number of items, which we all do. And anybody tells you they haven't is blind because we all have been burnt or they better go and check their collection again because right. there's something in there that's not right. And so I think with all my vast experience of doing that, I can offer that. I can offer sympathetic ear from that side because I know what they're going through and I know what they're feeling when they're trying to part with something that's been very near and dear to them and has some meaning. And, you know, I just think that I'll be able to, you know, and hopefully I, I've done a few already that I can help these people get the proper value for their collection. I usually first try to talk them into keeping it or passing it down to a family member or just for insurance purposes, which is a good thing to do. I made that mistake of waiting too long to ensure mine, and the process was an absolute nightmare to get it done. So I suggest people do that sooner than later. And then you've got estate planning moving forward, because again, I'm getting to be an old guy, so all us old guys know that that day is going to come at some point. Sure. The ugly word divorce, if a divorce ever happens, I went through one of those too, and I was lucky enough to get scraped by and keep my stuff, but there's some guys that don't, and it becomes a very contentious issue. Right. And just when you're carving things up amongst kids or you want to move things, you always need some value. And I've seen some, I get calls from people now that their states are being held up just for a collection that showed up and they haven't been able to do it. So I can offer all those things, as I'm sure lots of other guys can too. And where know. do people go to uh, to get in touch with you for those things? Uh, they can go to ultimatesportsappraiser.com. And that's our website, or they can just contact me, uh, the Ultimate Leafs fan, Mike Wilson. Um, uh, we're all over the place. We're on, you know, they can, you can find us on, uh, but Ultimate Sports Appraiser. Do you know, Mike, here's an observation uh, that I had as you were speaking, because 
one of the things that, look, I'm in the business. I know what basically yep. my stuff is worth, but I also have collected over the years and we call it, you call it the room, I call it the vault. And I've got stuff tucked away there that <laughs> I just put away as I went along yeah. and, and threw it in the room and, you know, forgot about it. Well, recently, as you get to our age, you start looking at these things and going, well, you know, would I want to part with that? And some I have multiples of. So there's an expertise yeah. I have when it comes to Sidney Crosby or any of the guys I've dealt with. And even then, prices have gone all over the place, uh, mostly up. So I don't even know what yeah. I was. I was selling some of the stuff that I had in the vault for Crosby way too little. Right. But that said, going to somebody like you, uh, one of the things I found is when I asked somebody about a Wayne Gretzky piece, because as you know, for years we did Wayne's collection uh, with yes. Mike Brown. And so I put a lot of those pieces away. Well, I don't have no idea what they're worth today. Well, I do have some idea, but certain specialty pieces. So I'll, I might ask somebody that's a collector. What do you think this is worth? And I see this on the Facebook pages all the time. What do you think this is worth? Some guys, there might be a $1,000 difference between the guy who wants to tell you what it's worth but is interested in buying it right, right, and the right. guy that is not interested and he's inflating the price because it'll help his other collection. What you bring to the table is an independent, objective, um, you know, somebody that isn't yeah. got a vested interest in buying or selling that particular piece. So it's an honest appraisal versus somebody's opinion because they want to buy it or want to keep their collection a certain rate. Not to mention 50 years of experience in the industry. Right. So. so that's what comes to mind for me. Well, thank you for that. I, well, that's the other part is that the conflict of interest. Anybody who asks you for an appraisal, and, and that's the thing why I never really got involved dealing with people privately over the years because I always overpaid because I felt guilty because they're trusting me to tell them what it's worth and they want me to buy it. Right. right. You, right. You just, that's right. just not normal business. You can't do that. And yeah. so the way I'm doing things now is my appraisal is just from a neutral standpoint. And that's the way you have to be. You have to separate. Although I get asked all the time, do you want to buy the items that I can't buy them? I'm not going to give you an appraisal and then be a buyer. I'm not, that, that's not me. I'll, I can direct you to somebody. I can give you suggestions on what to do, but it won't be me. I got asked that on a massive baseball collection. And I, I just said, no, I, I can't buy, I can't appraise them and give you the, be the buyer. Right, right. Are you still buying memorabilia? Do you still collect? We never stop. I, yeah. I am a little more, you know, we, you, you get the bug. You, you've got it. You've got it for life. And I, I drive Debbie crazy, but I, I now <laughs> limit to what I look for. I try to keep it some paper items if they're old books or, or you know, something that I, but if I can't, but I've, I've done for the first time ever in my life, I actually sold a Maple Leaf piece the other day because what I'm going to do now is I've got a room in our, the place we're living in now. I have a whole area designated to all Maple Leafs. And if I can't, look at it on display, I'm not going to own it anymore. And what I'm going right. to do is I'm going to rotate things around because I don't have the space I've, I, I used once had. So I'm going to rotate things and just look for something new. Yeah, I know our framing our framing business with Mike has gone down uh, substantially <laughs> since he sold his collection. <laughs> I used to be there all the time. Can you pick up a few more pieces? We got these beetle things. We got these leaf things. You want to, Dave was one of our, our best customers for many years. Uh, so Mike, we have a, we're running a little bit low on time. I do want to spend a little bit of time that yeah. I'm touching on, and maybe we save this for potentially another episode where we focus just on your road trip. Cause I think, I think the ultimate road trip is something that our fans would be cool. very interested in. 
This was something that took place over the course of the 2018-2019 season. Great timing, by the way, because if you waited another year, you probably wouldn't have been able to do this. Um, Why don't you tell us a little bit about what this road trip was and, uh, and what got you thinking, this is something I need to do? Well, it, it's it's a little bit of a long story because of the collection and getting noticed by people and getting all these contacts. I, I, I never realized how passionately fans really were right. until you start getting these outpouring of affection and emails coming at me and telling me their lifelong stories. And so I said to Deb one time, so I started talking about it a little bit more and I said, you know, the only thing I should do when I step aside from this and the collection moves, the next thing we should probably do is I should find out and see what it is. What it is about this team that people love so much and they haven't won in over 50 years. In the right. United States, they just bury teams or they make fun of teams like the Chicago Cubs or the Boston Red Sox. And ironically, they both had two of the most iconic stadiums in sports history, which was the attraction for people to come to the stadium. Otherwise, it had just been the laughing stock. And they were the laughing right. stock for years until they won. Now they're just good baseball teams. Whereas the Maple Leafs, there's just something about this team that I think if they win once, it'll just almost be like an addiction and people will even get more connected to the team. For sure. So I thought, what better way to find out than to go on the road, because all the players always talk about the blue and white and the team traveling so well, and to go and experience it and tell it from the fans, share their stories. And what I really wanted to do is, I didn't want to make this like some guy just flying around and going from here. I did it as cheap and as economical as it could sat in the second last row of every building up at the top in the cheapest seats we could get. I traveled by bus, I traveled by tra- train, traveled by car, traveled by plane. Stayed, Debbie worked for about a month organizing to get you know the cheapest hotels and all that sort of stuff to do it so I could relate to people that it would encourage others to do it. Mm-hmm. And when I went out, I interviewed over 200 people on video. I would talk to people and we had this system where I would walk the rink. I, if the Leafs were winning, I'd walk around the rink three times pre-game. And if they were losing, I'd go four times to shake it up. And what I would do is, and I would stop and talk to people. We'd have a meeting spot where I'd meet these people, talk to them, share their story. I'd send pictures and stuff to Deb. She would then record it all. I would write all the names and everything during the game. I never drank once at a game, never ate. And I would always go back because I, I couldn't have beer in my breath. I'm talking to families sure, and if sure. there was a confrontation or something that happened. And I couldn't have food in my hand because if I saw somebody had to take a picture, I, 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 you know, and I'm no good with the camera. I took right. a course on how to take pictures, which I stunk at and <laughs> still do. And I went around and just recorded all this. So I thought, what I really want. And people said to me, you know, you're so excited because, you know, when Tavares signed, it just made your trip even better. I said, actually, in a way, what I really, it almost, it didn't hurt it. I, I love doing it. But what it, it hurt it to a degree was what I really wanted to experience was being in Minnesota on a Monday night in the middle of January. It's 30 below outside. The Leafs have lost six in a row. And there's 12 guys sitting there in two rows in a half empty building in Leaf gear screaming at the Leafs. Right. Why right. are you guys here? Like, right. that's the story. And what I found was, unlike any other team in sports, Maple Leafs, Back in the 30s, when the game started getting broadcast across the country, people's form of entertainment was sitting around the radio. And because there was only two teams, Toronto, Montreal, the French version was in Quebec and down east. The rest, anywhere from Ontario west, was all Toronto Maple Leafs. Right. So people grew up with that. And families would share those stories. They were passed down from grandfather to son to grandson. You know, the, the foster who would 
uh, broadcasts went overseas to our war, war military. And these guys were listening. They didn't encourage guys. I mean, Fauci became the most popular man in Canada. So all these stories have been passed down from generation to generation. And then you go across the country and people are telling you all these stories. Standing in Cowboys, Cowboys in Calgary, one of the most popular bars in the country, jam-packed before the Leaf game, the 61-year-old guy's telling me the story. He said he's never been, he lived outside Calgary, could never afford to go to Maple Leaf game his whole life, and this was his first Leaf game ever live he was seeing that night. He'd been cheering oh, for the wow. team for 55 years. His brother had flown in from Toronto that day with tickets to the game, and he's telling me this story, and the tears are streaming down his face, and this bar's hopping. Tears streaming down his face. His wife is sitting on the stool over here crying. His sister-in-law is crying, and his brother's sitting like this with his head down. Oh, wow. And I'm trying to keep my emotions interviewing this guy, and he's going to his first game. You know, kids going to the first game with signs. One of the things I took pride in was I knew the – I would always check the warm-up, send Deb a quick video, and check – just. and I just did it for, out of habit. And I got to know the habit of Marner and Matthews always leaving the ice last. And yeah. actually, when I had Austin on our podcast, I talked to him about that, and he kind of laughed. And he says, you're going to have to remind me, Mike. I'll, I'll keep doing that when I'm scoring. Um, <laughs> anyway, so when people were coming in with signs looking for pucks, I would direct them where to go and stand because they kind of did the same thing every game. Oh. So I'd look for the little kids with their families with signs and take pictures. And those were the coolest moments. And But just people sharing and this outpouring of love for this team. But it, the game didn't matter. It's the fact they got to see them live. And it was just this family connection or something that drew them to the team. And they were there to experience it. Yeah, they won. They were happy. But just to see the team live meant more to them than anything. And to me... That came across so clear and families doing trips where they would go to Calgary or to California and see the three Western games. They do the Western swing in Canada. They go to a Leaf game at a football game as a group of guys. We found guys in Minnesota that for 28 years had done it. One of their guys had passed. So the 28th guy who replaced the guy was on his first road trip and they were going to a game the next day, a college football game. So all these things, but all I met the guys who the 123 club. These guys, there's 123, now 124, professional teams in North America. They went to every one of their home buildings once. Oh, wow. At least once. Now, if a team had two or three stadiums, that doesn't count. So the one right. guy had been to over 500 events around the world, stadiums and rinks and ballparks. And this group, and they came up and they found me and introduced themselves to me. So there's, the stories are just endless. And I can't encourage people not to do it. Here's the thing. And and this is a whole podcast on its own. Yeah. So there's, I'm sure you've got hundreds of more stories, but what I've learned from this, see, and, and it's my uh, negligence here. I always just assumed it, you were one of those guys like myself that say, Hey, I want to get to all the, all the buildings in the NHL and see my team play there. But there was so much more yeah. what you're describing behind the scenes. The intent was not anywhere near that. The intent was a whole different thing. And I think we need to, I mean, I'd love to hear a lot more. Yeah, We've got to I think we could spend a full episode because, because, uh, and to be explicit about this, because we didn't actually say this outright, uh, the ultimate road trip <laughs> was you following around and going to every single Toronto Maple Leafs game that year. Uh, and you ended up going to the playoff games as well. 
Um, 89 because they played seven in the playoffs against Boston. Um, and But you did, you had the intention of gathering stories and you put them all into a book called The Ultimate Road Trip. Uh, and it has more of that that feeling of this is what the Toronto Maple Leafs are about. Uh, I, I honestly, I, I would have you back and just talk about that. And if, if you as the listener are interested, yeah. definitely go check that out. I, I want to have, I have I have one question I want to ask you though, Mike, because the last game. Can I tell you guys one story though? Sure, yeah. I want to tell you one story about my road trip. So I went to Boston six times. I hated that city yeah. and I drove the last game, game seven. So after they lost, I, I came outside and I saw the press to Toronto and I knew the one girl was going to try and grab me and I hid. I went, I couldn't talk to her. So I went around and I, I avoided her. Don't let her hear this. The girl in CP24. But I went around and I got my car. I got to the hotel, got up the next morning, driving back. My brother and two of his friends drove down. CBC wanted me to do a national interview on the radio. So I said, okay. So they said, can you pull over? Because, you know, a little static with driving. Sure. So I pull over to the side of the road. And all of a sudden behind me, a cop. So I said, oh, we may get interrupted here. And meanwhile, I'm being interviewed on national radio on CBC. <laughs> so he comes to the door and he knocks on the window. And I go, just one minute. I, I Roll down your window. And I, no, no, no. J- j- I'm, on the, I'm on the radio. And the girl's <gasps> going, everything okay there, Mike? Oh, just hang my on. God. I got Barney Fife here. Hang on a minute. Barney <laughs> Fife. He rolls the window down. <laughs> and Bar- and he he said, you're not going to listen. He said, you might as well tell me your name. You're going across national uh, radio in Canada. I don't give a shit. Get your car out of here right now. Wow. wow. So wow. I had to drive away. So I said, these guys, they don't. I said, they didn't take enough that they beat us in game seven. They got to rub <laughs> they it in the next They couldn't wait to get you out of road. their city. Um, but here, I do have a question about game seven, because obviously, you know, famous, uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs losing in game seven against Boston in the first round that year. Yeah. Uh, uh, heartbreaking, gut-wrenching. You you mentioned in an interview about that game that you left with two minutes remaining in the game, and I just couldn't help but think, Mike, you were at every single game. You couldn't wait the extra two minutes to to see the final buzzer, or was it just too heartbreaking for you? It was heartbreaking. Point? I just I didn't want to see it, and I I want yeah. to get out. I so I just went out, and I what I do is when I go outside, I uh, I, I take a look at the screen in the hall. So I was watching it there. So I, then I yes. so I can get out. Yeah, and that happened to me in Columbus when I, on the December twenty eighth game I. I got out and I always do this to make sure my phone's there in my little book up for my notes and my phone wasn't there and I panicked and I went back up to my seat and I, and I got the phone. I forgot my glasses and went back a second time. So anyway, I come out and I'm mad at myself because I didn't really fight the next day. So I'm, I go out a back door in Columbus. So I'm walking by nationwide and all of a sudden I hear this quiet and I'm talking to Deb on the phone and all of a sudden I hear this. It's cold night, crisp. I'm laying the whole thing out there for you and all of a sudden I hear a trumpeter. And I go, wait a minute, Deb, hang on and listen to this. And a guy was playing O Canada. Now, Toronto won that night. They're playing O Canada on the trumpet outside the front of Nationwide, cold December oh, wow. night, and all the fans come in and start singing O Canada. It was the coolest moment. That's amazing. Yeah. That's the kind of stuff. I bet you there were uh, tons of stories like that. Those are the kinds of stories that you can find in the Ultimate Road Trip. Uh, yes. So much more that we could get into there, uh, but we're running a little low on time. Sorry, Mike, guys. we thank you so much for taking no. the time to spend with us. Uh, no, no, all these stories are worth telling you. You can find Mike uh, at ULeafsFan on Twitter, UltimateLeafsFan.com or UltimateSportsAppraiser.com. You can also listen to him on the uh, on, on Squid and the Ultimate Leafs Fan podcast. Mike, uh, anything else you want to plug? Did we, did we cover it there? Is there anything else you're working on that you want to give people a little bit of a heads up on well i can use some help here guys i'm working on a new book so my third book and by the way i'm no writer i i work with lance hornby and paul pascu who are absolute masters okay they just carry a slug like me along now this book <laughs> i'm working i'm getting some help with it 
I'm writing a book on beer league hockey. Oh, fantastic. And what I'm looking for is all the characteristics and stories of beer league hockey players. And all of us across Canada have played at some part in our life, played beer league. So if anybody's got a story they'd like to share with me, I'm writing a book on beer league hockey. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to go your route, Brian. I'm going to, um, it's going to be uh, self-published. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to donate, once I take the expense out of the cost of the book, and for the editor, I'm going to donate all the money is going to go to a Ronald McDonald House or some charity of that of that sort uh, in, in around the Markham area or somewhere. So we're going to do that and just try and have some fun with it. So if that's, anybody's that's got amazing. any stories, please send them to me. I'm looking you, for stories. Do you have an email address that they can send them out to you or you want them to get in touch with you on social media? They can get in touch with me on social media or send it to uh, Mike at UltimateLeafsFan.com. Perfect. Perfect. Love it. Uh, we may have some stories. And I'm not the ultimate Leafs fan, by the way. <laughs> Only ESPN love to hear said him. that. Yeah. Um, so uh, thanks again, Mike, for joining us. This is Mike Wilson, uh, dad for Brian Aaronworth, president of Framelit Sports Marketing. Thanks, guys. thanks, Mike. And myself, Mikey Aaronworth, host of the Sign Off Podcast. This is us signing off. Thanks, boys. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we made it to the end of yet another episode. Thanks again so much for joining us. You can find videos of all of our episodes on YouTube by searching the Sign Off Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Frameworth Sport or Instagram at Frameworth Sports. And hey, if you're not sick of me yet, you can find me on Twitter over at, at Retrograde Mikey, or you can always find me embarrassing myself over on Instagram at Aaronworth. The Sign Off is a proud product of Fadu Productions and Sad Styles Productions, executive producers Mikey Aaronworth and Andrew Bascom. Until next week, this is Mikey Aaronworth, signing off. Furnished by Sad Styles Productions. Get into it!